We're really glad to, to have you guys uh, join us today. We're going to uh, continue on in our uh, sermon series here in just a little bit. I also want to just kind of highlight as we're kind of plowing forward in the series, um, if uh, uh, you haven't listened to each week, I would encourage you to do that. This, um, this series is really, really close to me for, for some reason. I think there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, it's uh, found its way really into my heart. And today, I think today's going to feel a little more maybe like a Sunday school class as we unfold it. Um, if you're a note taker, there'll be uh, quite a bit of stuff on the screen that you might want to jot down. Uh, and we're just going to kind of talk about um, resurrection in relationship to hope and specifically our eternal hope. And I think it's an important message uh, for us to know and to hear. Um, uh, but this series, um, you know, started for me um, a little over a year ago, and I just started thinking about how uh, everybody, all the Christ followers, we all have the hope of the resurrection, and uh, it influences the way we see pandemic, it influences the way we see politics, it influences the way we see it all. So I wanted to kind of detach from Easter, uh, I wanted to take several weeks when I got back from sabbatical and just remind us of the resurrection and the hope that we have. So let's pray together and then we'll get into it. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you uh, for his sacrifice. Uh, I want to pray uh, that our hope uh, would be in him and that that hope would change, well, everything. Um, not just the way we view pandemic, not just the way we view politics, but marriages, lives, attitudes, that every single thing in our life would be changed because you rose, your son Jesus rose from the dead. It is in his name that we pray, amen. <clears throat> About a year and a half ago, I told uh, this old preacher joke <clears throat> and I screwed it up. And uh, it's related to heaven and I am absolutely convinced that the way I screwed it up probably impacted the way you laughed, um, which wasn't very much at all. Um, <clears throat> But this is just an old preacher joke, and it's relevant to what we want to talk about today. And uh, so I want, I want to reshare it with you. It's a story about an 85-year-old couple uh, that had been married for almost 60 years, and together they passed away in a car crash. And they'd been in really good health the last 10 years, and it was mainly due to the wife's interest, because you know the wife is interested in this, not the husband. Uh, health, food, exercise, staying fit, and all that stuff. And they get up to the pearly gates, and Peter kind of greets them there. And he takes them first to their home, to their eternal home, to their mansion. And uh, they oohed and odd, and everything was nice, beautiful kitchen, master bath suite, jacuzzi, swimming pool, all that stuff. And uh, the husband's like, what on earth is this going to cost? This is nicer than anything we've ever had before. Peter said, it's free. It's heaven. And then he takes them to the uh, kind of championship golf course. And this golf course, every day it changes to kind of uh, d be designed to one of the best golf courses on the earth and uh, just beautifully beautiful uh, golf courses. And the, the old guy says, you know, well, what are the green fees? How much is this going to cost? So it's heaven. You, you play for free. There, there's, there's no cost. And then they go to the clubhouse and there's this a lavish kind of lunch buffet, every kind of uh, world represented on this buffet, all the different cuisines. And they say, well, what's the Fee to eat, and he says, don't you understand it yet? This is heaven, it is all free. And he says, well, the guy kind of asks tentatively, where's the low fat and cholesterol, low cholesterol foods? And he said, well, that's the best part. You can eat as much as you want, whenever you want, and you never get heavy, you never get sick. This is heaven, it's a place of perfection. And the old guy looked at his wife and said, you and your bran muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> right, yeah, that's better, all right, there you go, all right. 
So we're going to be in 1 Peter 1, and that is uh, somewhat uh, relevant because it is funny, and it is funny. I told it better that time. Um, <laughs> But it's not exactly true, all right? And, and it's a joke, it's not really intended to be, to be true, but a lot of people kind of view earth in relationship to heaven, the promise of heaven, they, re, they re, uh, kind of view earth as a waiting room. That this is a place to be endured, it is a place to hang on to, it is a place to just kind of wait until the day that Jesus returns and gives us eternal life. And here, and it's somewhat true. You see some of that in the scriptures, but it's not totally true. The way the Bible would describe it, I think, is this. We are called to desire life, right? We are called to desire the Jesus life today and forever. So hopefully you're here today and you might be a little bit discouraged and you might be a little bit down, but hopefully you're here today and you desire life. You desire the life that Jesus wants for you. You desire a life of joy and hope and peace, a life of mission. You want and you desire the Jesus life. And while we understand that is true, we know what Jesus said is also true, that in this world we have various troubles. So part of our desire for life, part of it, is longing for a hope that is coming someday. When Jesus will return, the scripture says, with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth, and he will once and for all defeat sin and death and Satan, and he will lead us into a place of absolute perfection, the perfected eternal life. And so there's a tension there because we do desire life. We desire the Jesus life. We just desire it in two ways. Today, we want life. We want the Jesus life, but we understand someday he's coming and someday we will live in a perfected state, a perfected eternal life. And here's how Peter in 1 Peter 1 balances these truths. Great, great text, all right? Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, look at what he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is only possible for you and for me because of the resurrection and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So, in the first century, the people that Peter was writing to, there had been an outbreak of persecution. 
And this persecution had sent Christ followers all over the globe, globe, and Peter is kind of writing to this group of displaced Christians. They had to leave their families and their jobs, their way of life, that because of this persecution, they just had to kind of pack up the bag, leave, and, and, and start a life somewhere else. Here's how one commentator put the, the book of 1 Peter. He says, the tone of 1 Peter is a warm pastoral one full of encouragement. The exhortations are addressed to Christians who are scattered over a wide area. They share a common faith with Christians everywhere who face common problems. The basic problem is to live for God in the midst of a society ignorant of the true God. Huh. Could this be helpful to us at all? Because they are Christians, they are misunderstood. Huh. Could this be helpful to us at all? and are subjected to cruel treatment. Thankfully, that's not true for us. Peter's pastoral purpose is to help these early believers see their temporary sufferings in the full light of the coming eternal glory. So I love the terminology in verse one. He says, part of what the resurrection is accomplishing, part of what Jesus did when he rose from the dead is he created a family and he allows us to be born into a family called hope. That when you were born into this Christ family, the name of your family became the family of hope. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. God is the father. And we were all born into this family called hope. And we understand this because we were all born into some reality, right? One of my earliest memories when, when uh, growing up was I remember my mom screaming at the television, cheering for Michigan State University. I was born into a family of Michigan State fans. I remember uh, growing up, I I grew up into a family that just went to church. We just just did that. I was born into that family. I was born into a family where I knew my dad didn't really like his job, but he went every day and he sacrificed for our family. I was born into this family that respected work. You and I, we were born into hope through Jesus. This hope is based in the resurrection. And the resurrection should be a reminder to us that Jesus defeated death and he promises us eternal life and this hope is a mercy. You you see how, how important hope is and what a mercy it is to us when you see the hopelessness in our in our culture. That there are people out in this culture that believe this world is all there is. The death, the disease, the sin that this world has to offer, it is all there is. And what this has done in our culture is it has turned some to anger. And you know what this anger is? This anger is, this world is all there is, so I believe it should be crafted a certain way. And you are an enemy of that way that I think it should be crafted in. So you will find conservatives that are irrationally angry at liberals. You will find liberals that are irrationally angry at conservatives. And you say, what on earth is this about? Some, not all of it. Some are fighting to make this world to their liking because they have a worldview that says this is all there is. You see in our culture a desire toward entertainment and fun because we have to to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And you see discouragement when people go through hard times because this is all there is. Not so with you and not so with me. We believe because of the power of the resurrection that Jesus has already defeated death and someday he will return and he will defeat sin and Satan and he is preparing an eternal life for us as we speak. 
Let me say it another way. Whatever you are going through, whatever your story was this week, and can I tell you, the Higgs, we had a bit of a week, not in a good way. So whatever you're going through and you kind of crawled into this place today, you need to know this is not the end of the story. Jesus is not yet done writing your story. He's not done writing our story. He's not yet done writing this world's story. There is more to come. There is hope. So what is this hope that Peter is writing about? Well, first of all, here's what you need to know. This hope is an inheritance from God to us, and it is the inheritance of a place, all right, a place called heaven. When Revelation describes the physical place of heaven, here's what the writer of Revelation says, John. He says uh, in Revelation uh, 21, starting in verse 15, he says, the angel who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. He's talking about the city, the new Jerusalem, heaven. To measure the city, its gates, and its walls, verse 18. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone, verse 21. The 12 gates were, uh, were 12 pearls, each gate made with a single pearl. The great, city of, the, the great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. Here's what John is trying to get us to see. This inheritance called heaven, it is a place of unmatched beauty. And someday, it's your inheritance. Now, I'm not sure if Revelation was 21, I'm not sure if it's literal or it's figurative, but I think what John is trying to get us to see is the most beautiful thing that you have ever seen in your life, heaven is better. Cheryl and I, um, uh, back for one of her birthdays, we, she and I together, we, just took a, we took a trip to the Pacific Northwest. And we went out there, and it was one of the most beautiful things that we had seen. The oceans, the mountains, the long walks, the tide pools. Uh, and there was one place in particular that we knew if we ever went back, we went back this summer, we said, we got to take our kids to this spot. And it's a park in a place called Friday Harbor. And this park is the best chance that you have from the shoreline to see orcas in the wild. And this is like a bucket list thing for my wife in particular. I'm into it too. But we, you know, we're going to go to this place. We're going to kind of sit on the shore and we are going to see an orca. We have been twice. We are 0 for 2. All right? So we're just going to keep going back until it happens. But it, it's, it's still an unbelievably beautiful place. And while we were there, uh, we ran into this other family. We were getting ready to leave the park after kind of a disappointing time of not seeing orcas. Um, and we were walking out and, and this family said, yeah, we had a boat tour yesterday. And you're not going to believe what happened to us. We're like, what happened to us? And they said, well, the boat tour was ending and we were coming towards shore. And all of a sudden, this pod of orcas approached the boat and just started playing with the boat. They're coming out of the water. They're making sounds. They're making noises. And we're like, that sounds absolutely awesome. I can't even imagine what that was like. They said, you don't have to imagine. We have video. And so they pulled out their video cameras and they started showing us this video from the day before. These orcas just coming out of the water, you know, spraying the boat, just absolutely beautiful, absolutely fun. We watched the video and we're walking out. We're like, man, we're talking as a family. We're like, we are in the greatest spot on planet Earth to see orcas from the shore in the wild. And we are, we are 0 for 2. We've never seen an orca. And Sam said, that's not true. We were in this park and we saw a video of orcas. That's not exactly what I had in mind, but he, he absolutely is right. We, we did get to see orcas while we were in that, in that uh, state park. And I would ask you, that story might not move you too much, but what is the place of unmatched beauty to you? God has given you 
God has given you that place as a gift so that your heart could start to understand the beauty and majesty that is coming with your inheritance. So it's the inheritance of a place. It's also the inheritance of peace. Sometimes biblically, uh, angry uh, waves and a busy sea and lots of wind, they represent turbulent and difficult days. And we understand that. Man, I'm going through a storm, right? I'm, I'm going through the sea. I'm going through a, a storm. And so a lot of times in the Bible, we get that from the Bible, that an angry sea, a windy sea, uh, waves crashing, that represents turbulent and difficult times. Look at how heaven is described in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And look at this. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is down among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In heaven, there's no longer any sea. It's not literal, because we know that there's a sea as clear as crystal. What he's trying to tell you is that there's no more death in heaven, or mourning, or crying, or pain. There's only peace. Feeling anxiety today? Your future inheritance tells you that a day of peace is coming. It's the inheritance of the Lord. Revelation 22 continues this. No longer will there be any curse, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Other places in Scripture say that part of the inheritance is that our faith becomes sight. So you're here today, and on faith, you believe in grace. Someday you'll see grace. You are here today and you believe in majesty of Jesus. Someday you will see the majesty of Jesus. You are here today and you believe in the beauty of heaven. Someday you will see the beauty of heaven. You are here today and you believe in Christ. Someday you will see his face, a face that's been hidden from us throughout the scriptures because of our sin will be revealed and we will worship him. It is the inheritance of a people. Right? There tends to be these caricatures of heaven. One is a, a fluffy cloud, right? You've seen this caricature, a fluffy cloud in the universe, and we're up there as angels playing a harp. The other is just one giant worship service where all of our time, energy will go to worship the king. And listen, we will worship the king to be sure. But heaven in the scriptures is described as a city. It's full of people from every tongue and tribe and nation, and it will be a place where relationships happen and they absolutely thrive. Sin is no more to interfere with our relationships. Death is no more, so there will be no end to our relationships. Sports will exist, but sports rivalries will not exist. Everyone will just know they should worship Michigan, or uh, cheer for Michigan State, right? (laughs) And all of it, we will be in a perfect place then, right? All of it is made possible via the resurrection. Because he rose, he ascended, and he is preparing a place for his sons and his daughters. So I love what Peter writes. He seeks to put the hope of eternity into perspective here on earth. Because hearing what I just said, the temptation really could be to say, man, I just got to hold on. 
I, I just got to hold on, hold on, and someday Jesus return and, and take us. That's not exactly, it's close, but it's not exactly the biblical approach to how eternity affects our day-to-day. Here's what Peter says, that resurrection hope, fully understood resurrection hope, gives us a proper perspective on suffering. All right? Without the resurrection, without the truth of the resurrection, Peter might seem kind of insensitive in this text. When he says, for a little while, you've had to suffer grief in various trials. In another section of scripture, the writer says, oh, these light and momentary troubles. Now, we ended up in the ER, our family did, uh, on Thursday in the middle of the night, Friday morning, like two o'clock in the morning, Turned out my wife had a kidney stone, right? Very uncomfortable, tons of pain. I've never seen her in that much pain. Now you can imagine if I walked into the room and I said, "Hun, in light of the resurrection, it is just light and momentary troubles compared to a glory that will outweigh them all. She would say, I am going to hit you, but don't worry, it's only gonna be light and momentary. It's only going to hurt for 10 minutes, right? No, Peter is, not, Peter is not trying to be insensitive here. Peter was well acquainted with suffering. He is sensitive to suffering. He knew lots of people that suffered. He is just trying to say, and it is kind of a bitter pill to swallow, that in comparison, in comparison to eternity, our troubles here are just for a little while. There's an old song that I know you've sung before. It says, 10,000 years when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Eternity, properly understood, it gives us a perspective on suffering. Hope gives us, uh, resurrection hope gives us a purpose for our suffering, right? One of the great questions of mankind that I I get uh, this question a lot is, why on earth does God allow suffering? Right? Why, why would he allow this? And here's what I want to encourage you with. If you kind of envision a place where there is no suffering, and that is kind of your mindset of, man, I just want to see a place without suffering, you need to know God is absolutely on the same page with you. And someday, like I said, he is going to return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth, and he is going to accomplish that very thing. You and God are on the same page. It's just not right now. It's just not right now. Um, you want a perfect place, God's creating a perfect place. But right now, God allows hardship. He allows suffering. He allows pain. And something good can come out of it. God has a purpose for your pain. Something good can come out of it. Here's what Peter says. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. Gold is determined to be real or fake with fire. It is how it is tested. Faith is tested the same way, by fire. And so every time you go through a fire, every time you go through a trial, It is an opportunity for you and it is an opportunity for me to demonstrate the genuineness and realness of your faith. 
That when, when times are good and you're like, man, I believe in God, people are like, I bet you do. <laughs> if everything had been up and to the right for me, I'd probably believe as well. But it's when you're in the pit. It's when you're going through a trial. It's when you're going through difficulty that people can see you and your faith and say, that person really believes. They really believe. And, and look at what their faith is doing, what it's creating, how, what a difference it, it, it is making. And can I tell you something? The last year and a half, our world desperately needs to see genuine faith. We have been tested. We have gone through the fire. And it is an opportunity for us to demonstrate genuine faith. We desperately need resurrection people. People that will say, I am not afraid. Because of the resurrection, I am not afraid. I am not shrinking back. I am not losing hope. I know a better day is coming. Until then, I remain faithful. I hold on. And Christ is going to use my pain for the purposes of his glory and his majesty and his name. I'm not giving up. I'm not shrinking back. I'm not throwing in the towel. I am a resurrection person amongst resurrection people, and we are going to stay faithful. And the scripture here says you are not alone on this. I love what the text says. He says, God is shielding you with power. That this happens via the Holy Spirit, that he is helping you, he is empowering you, so that you might pass every test this world has to offer. That maybe there have been times over the last year and a half where he said, I don't know if I can. In Christ you can. There is a Holy Spirit power that God gives to you, and your faith can be seen by the people around you as genuine. And the scripture says, that we read that on that day that Jesus returns, the result would be, because of your genuine faith, the result would be praise, honor, and glory for our returned king. Both for you, but for the people that saw you go through a fire and saw you remain faithful and said, I want what they have. I've seen them go through the fire and their hope remained. I've seen them go through a trial and their joy remained. I've seen them go through a trial and their faith remained. I want what they have. That's what it means to prove the genuineness of your faith. This hope results in love. I told you there's a lot of things here, right? We're, we're turning the final corner here, right? The hope results in love for Jesus, is what this verse is saying. The one in whom our hope is found. And I love what Peter says. Though we don't see him, we love him. And I love this because Peter had seen him. Peter had walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, interacted with him post-resurrection, and he was filled with a love for his Savior and King. And his prayer for you and for me is that we would love him. Even though we haven't seen him the way Peter has, that we would love him. By reading the accounts of his life, by receiving his Holy Spirit, by believing in him, that you would love him even though you haven't seen him face to face. When I was growing up, there was kind of an overemphasis, I would say, on heaven. Now, allow me to explain that just for a minute because it sounds really weird for a pastor to say it, but let me explain it. That there was this time when I was really young growing up where they said, we need to win people to Christ. And so one of the strategies was that we would go door to door. Now, I'm not knocking door to door per se. I don't think it would work terribly well now. Nobody answers their door, but... Um, we would go door to door, and I'm not knocking it because it is how my parents came to Christ, is a group of people were going door to door, but people would knock on the door, and they would ask this question. If you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? 
If somebody did that at your house, you would slam the door. <laughs> hey, if something, if you die tonight, do you know, I'm not talking to you, right? It, it weirded people out. And let me tell you what kind of happened in terms of church history. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. We taught people to love heaven. We never taught them to love Jesus. And it's a big mistake in church history. We taught people to love heaven. We never taught them to love Jesus. And what should happen is that we teach people to love Jesus and they will grow to love the idea of heaven. Because what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. What makes heaven heaven is that he is on the throne in charge of the universe. So you teach people to love Jesus, they're going to love heaven. That heaven is for people that love Jesus. And so this proper understanding of eternity and hope and all of that, it results in love. It also results in joy. Now, I want you to imagine this Tuesday, you receive two notices in the mail the same day, right? You just open the first one first. And the first one is that a long lost uncle has left you a million dollars. You didn't even really know him, but he left you a million dollars and sometime in the next six months, you're gonna receive this money. The second notice is that you are overdue on your credit card bill by about $3,000. Now, the first notice should dramatically impact the way you respond to the second, amen? The first notice says you have just gotten a million dollars from a long lost uncle. The second notice says, hey, you owe three grand on your credit card bill. It should impact the way you view that. You're not gonna freak out. You're not gonna lose your cool. You might talk to your spouse if the charges are related to their spending, right? But you're not gonna freak out because you're like, we've got a million coming. We can cover 3,000. You have this inheritance from Jesus and it's cut for you. That is notice number one. You have an inheritance coming. Notice number two is that in this world you will have trouble. The first should dramatically impact the way we respond to the second. And so what is the inheritance? Is it heaven? Well, yes, Peter talks about heaven, right? He, he talks about heaven in this text, but it's not just heaven. Peter will go on to describe, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, and here's what Peter says, the salvation of your souls. Joy comes when we realize the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And yes, that is heaven someday, but it also includes your ability to know God today, your ability to worship God today, your ability to interact with God today, your ability to trust him today, your ability to be empowered by him today. It's not just someday, it is today. Right? The salvation of your soul begins the minute you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. And yes, he secures you an inheritance, but he also says, man, I will make right by your pain. I will give you the strength that you need. I will empower you, help you, and give you joy, hope, and peace in the midst of the storm. Someday there will be no more storm, but in terms of the storm you're going through right now, I will give you everything you need to live the life I have allowed you to live or called you to live or whatever the case may be. And so yes, it's heaven, it's understanding that this is temporary, but it's also I have God. He saved my soul. I have God through Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I can know him today, and that's everything. All right, lastly, this hope results in mission. Resurrection hope results in mission. I love how the text ends. He, because we said earlier that we have taught people to love heaven, 
but we forgot them to, to teach them to love Jesus. We have also taught people to love heaven, and we have forgotten to teach them to love others. He goes on to say that the prophets of the Old Testament, he goes all the way back to the Old Testament, they searched intently. They searched intently and were trying to figure out exactly what God was doing. They knew they were going through hard times. They knew they were going through difficult times. But in the Old Testament, remember we talked last week, all they had was looking forward. They didn't have what we have where we get to look back and say, oh, that's what he was doing. Right? All they had was looking forward, and so they were faithful in their time. And Peter says in this text, because of their faithfulness, they served you well. They were not serving themselves. They were in the middle of an unfolding story. They didn't know what God was doing. They knew he was up to something, but they served you well through faithfulness. And guess what the hard part of this text is? Now it's our turn. Here's what I mean by that. Someone shared the gospel with you. Someone gave up their preferences to make room for you. Someone served you. Someone sacrificed in this church so this church could thrive. And now it's our turn. It is our generation. Now it is our turn to share. It is our turn to sacrifice. It is our turn to give. It is our turn so that future generations may look back and say, man, they were faithful in their time. They served and they sacrificed and they gave and they made a difference in their time so that our generation could know the Lord and that our generation could receive an inheritance and our generation could have the peace that surpasses understanding and our generation could have strength in difficult times and our generation could know Christ and the power of his resurrection and they could be resurrection people. I know that sometimes in church we can kind of feel like we are being asked to sacrifice. Spoiler alert, you are. Every generation in human history has, and it's why the gospel has endured. And so we love and we sacrifice and we give and we don't demand our preferences and we make a difference so that the next generation can know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and they can abide in him, and they can have an inheritance that never spoils or fades or, or goes away. It's for the next generation that we serve and we sacrifice. We have Christ and the power of his resurrection, but I know those of you in this room, you want your grandkids to have it, amen? You want their kids to have it, amen? You want their kids to have it, amen? So we serve and we sacrifice and we give so that the gospel can move forward to the next generation. Resurrection people hold on to their hope. Resurrection people refuse to lose their hope. A hope that, yes, obviously it changes our future, but more, even more than that, for, for today anyway, it changes our present. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the power of his resurrection. I just want to pray for us. I know... Peter laid a whole lot at our feet. But I want to latch on right now and I want to thank our Old Testament heroes for being faithful in their time. They had no idea what you were doing. They had no idea what they were doing. They had no idea what kind of unfolding story they were a part of. But they knew you and they wanted to be faithful. And because of that, the gospel moved forward. And eventually we receive Jesus. 
My prayer for us is that we would not hold on to this hope of heaven so tightly that we forget to love your son, Jesus, and that we wouldn't hold on to it so tightly that we forget to love other people. The next generation needs to know your son. They need the power of his resurrection, the hope of glory, the power to make it through another day, the grace and hope that Jesus freely offers everyone who believes in him. This next generation, they need it. The generation after them needs it, but it's going to take your saints that have learned about you sacrificing and propelling the the message to the next group. May it be true of us. May it be true of them, those that have received it next, that they would sacrifice for the next generation. And may your gospel move forward. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive a communion together uh, as a remembrance and a celebration of this gospel message. And it's, uh, we, love, we like to do it toward the end of our service because I think it is a good reminder of, man, this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is for me, but now I leave this place and I seek to share it with others. I seek to love and serve and sacrifice for the good of the next generation. I look for ways to do that. Um, and it's a good reminder as we uh, will sing one last song after we receive communion and then we leave this place ready to share, ready to serve, ready to allow the gospel to move forward. Um, and so uh, we're going to pass out the emblems here. You can hold on to those. We love to take them together as a church family. Uh, and then we'll sing one more song. Uh, after I come up, I'll lead us through it. We'll receive it. And then uh, we'll sing one more song. So let's pass out the emblems. His body given for you. His blood poured out. My prayer for us is that we would leave this place empowered by the resurrection, that we would hold on to our hope, we would hold on to our joy, we would hold on to our faith, and and knowing that we have an inheritance plan for us that uh, can neither spoil nor fade, nobody can take it away. It's, It's kept for us by Jesus, and he's big enough to guard that, so that that inheritance is kept for us. But in this life, His resurrection is empowering us and giving us joy and hope and peace so that we have everything that we need to face the challenges that we have. We have everything that we need to face the challenges that we have and that we would leave this place holding desperately onto that hope and never letting go because it makes a difference for eternity and it makes a difference today. Let's stand up and sing one last song.